Welcome to Wellness Your Way. I'm your host, Megan Lyons, and I've helped thousands of people find their own way to wellness. Wellness Your Way is an extension of that work, aimed to help you find your unique path to feeling your very best. Each week, we'll go through tactical strategies you can use to improve your health, happiness, and quality of life. So grab a mug of tea or lace up your walking shoes. We're about to dive in. Happy Tuesday, my friends, and welcome back to another info-packed episode. If you have been working on your fitness a bit more this year and really been diligent about getting in your exercise sessions, but you're just not feeling great, maybe you're always sore or tired or even feeling kind of puffy, then this episode is for you. We're talking all about the importance of muscle recovery. I will also share a study that might debunk the popular intermittent fasting trend. I'll recommend a product that's available in literally every grocery store in the country. I will answer listener Q&A and more. Let's dive in. It's time for health news you can use, and oh, I might get some hate for this one, but I just want to share the research as it comes out. There is a new study published at the Endocrine Society's 2021 annual meeting and done by researchers at Northwestern University, and it's all about fasting and breakfast timing. So intermittent fasting has become all the rage these days, and a lot of people feel great when they give themselves some limitations or guidelines on eating time so they're not just mindlessly munching all day. And in general, I support that. And I'll link to a blog post I wrote in the show notes here about some of the benefits of intermittent fasting. But also in that blog post, I'll break down why fasting might not be for you, especially if you have hormone imbalance or thyroid imbalance or exercise intensely or have a history of eating disorders. And we've talked about this on a previous podcast episode as well. This study is giving us another reason why it might be better for some to give up on fasting and to eat a healthy breakfast. This study was done on a really large and popular database called NHANES, and it looked at 10,575 adults. They were divided into groups. They had three um, first sections. The the first section was those who had less than a 10-hour eating window. So they fasted for 14 hours or more. Usually the most popular method of fasting is 16-8, meaning your eating window would be eight hours and you're not eating for 16 hours. So you would fall into this first group of less than 10-hour eating window. The second group was those who ate for 10 to 13 hours per day, and then finally those who ate for 13 or more hours per day. Now within those groups, those three groups, they also subdivided a bit more into two groups within each of those three groups. So they would divide um, whether or based on whether the first meal took place before 8.30 a.m. or after 8.30 p.m or after 8.30 a.m. So there are six groups, 10 hours and first meal before 8.30, 10 hours or less and first meal after 8.30, etc. Now, what they found was surprising. The fasting blood sugar levels, which is a really good met- metric of metabolic health and 
um, risk of type 2 diabetes, things like that. They actually did not significantly, there we go, differ among any group, um, which honestly I'm surprised about. But what they did find is that for every single eating duration, every single one of the three um, time spans, those who ate before 8.30 a.m. had less insulin resistance, which is a good thing. So the ones who ate earlier were healthier. They had better metabolisms. They had less uh, likelihood of developing type 2 diabetes. They were overall healthier, which is really interesting and surprising to many. Now, I, even after reading this study and lots of studies on intermittent fasting, I am firmly in the camp of it depends on this one. I still think that intermittent fasting is a good idea for some people, but I hope that this study shows you that it's just not as simple as following the latest diet trend. You either need to be working with a practitioner like me, little plug here, that knows what she's doing and guiding you. Or you need to really, really listen to your body and see how you feel best. That is the best research possible. When you listen to your body, you truly pay attention to the signals, how you feel, how um, energized you are, how bloated you are, how many cravings you have, how your sleep is, how your workout performance is, all of those things will tell you. So listen to your body. Don't just believe a popular diet trend. Here's one study that shows it might not be that simple. I will link to a write-up on the study in the show notes. All right, this is the least fancy Megan recommends that I've done in all 27 episodes, but this product deserves a shout out. There's no brand name, there's nothing fancy here, but this is a tool I regularly rely upon. It is frozen vegetables. And I think, honestly, that frozen vegetables just don't get the credit they deserve in the health world. I think they're an amazing tool to have on hand for any time we get in a pinch, if I'm coming back in from out of town, or if life got in the way one week and I didn't get my food prep done, oh my gosh, or if I want to throw together a quick meal in five minutes or less, maybe I did get my food prep done and I'm just not feeling it for one meal, or if I happen to order in something that doesn't include vegetables, I always rely on frozen vegetables. It is my personal commitment to myself to have a vegetable at every meal, and frozen veggies often help me make this happen. So people tend to think that frozen vegetables are less healthy, but they actually might be more healthy in some cases. They're picked and frozen at the peak of their ripeness, which means that more of the nutrients are intact as opposed to the, quote, fresh produce on grocery store shelves that we think is most nutrient-dense, but often it has traveled 1,500 miles, I believe, is the average. It's been off the vine or out of the ground for weeks, and every single day off the vine or out of the ground reduces the nutrient content that actually gets absorbed by our bodies. So as long as you're getting a bag of frozen vegetables that only includes the vegetables, like no preservatives, no sugar. It is shocking that some frozen vegetables actually have added sugar. So check that ingredient list. Um, No sauces, things like that. Then any kind goes. I don't 
have a particular brand name or a particular variety. I do try to get organic when possible, and I personally like the variety packs, just like a blend of um, cauliflower and broccoli and, and peppers and snap peas and mushrooms or whatever the blend is, I mix it up. Uh, but as long as it's just vegetables and ideally organic when possible, anything goes. Uh, for me, I'll heat them up and scramble in a few eggs or I'll just throw together a meal of frozen vegetables with a packet of tuna or a frozen turkey burger. I will always add them to a smoothie. I add frozen cauliflower and spinach primarily, but I've added frozen zucchini, kale, um, any really kind of frozen vegetables. I, I will literally just dump a bag of mixed frozen vegetables in there sometimes, uh, which sounds weird to some people, but anything goes in the lion's share household, uh, or I'll just toss them on top of anything else I'm eating. So I am encouraging you to stock up on a few bags next time you go to the grocery store so you can turn to frozen vegetables in a pinch. It's time for the veggies of the matter, and we're talking about muscle recovery. So when most of us think about how to get more results from our workouts, we think of pushing harder, lifting heavier, going further, all of that kind of more, more, more. And there certainly is a time and place for that uh, if you're looking to increase your performance. But just as important and often overlooked is muscle recovery. So that's what we're talking about today, why muscle recovery is important and how to speed it up. So first, what is muscle recovery? Um, If we think about it simply, Exercise just taxes our body, which is actually a good thing. There's something called a hermetic effect or or hormesis, um, and this means that uh, something that stresses our body out at a low level can actually help it grow stronger and develop the capacity to withstand greater stress. So it's kind of that old adage, like what doesn't kill you, make you makes you stronger. And as long as you're not taking it to extremes, that's true. Some physical strain on your body is a really good thing. So let's take strength training. Many of us have heard that when we are lifting weights, we get tiny little mini tears in our muscle fibers. And this is true. This is part of why we feel sore. And as we allow for muscle recovery, those mini tears heal and they heal even stronger. Those muscle fibers grow back stronger, which is great. So we need to give our body a break in order for that healing and that um, stronger growth to occur. A break is just one, so muscle recovery can take the form of just a break, but we're going to talk about several other tactics to speed up muscle recovery even more than just a break. So why would this be important? Um, First, if you want to grow stronger, you have to allow those muscle fibers to rebuild like we just talked about. Uh, But even if it's not just about strength, it's important for overall health. Constantly fatigued muscles can contribute to inflammation which is why you might be feeling that puffy feeling even if you're exercising really regularly. Um, uh, Unrecovered muscles also increase that feeling of soreness, increase stress. They can make you moody. They can contribute to chronic conditions down the road via inflammation. Uh, They are more likely, unrecovered muscles are more likely to get injured. So if we think about those mini tears that aren't able to heal, those can turn into bigger tears. They can turn into pulled or torn muscles. 
Uh, they can even lose strength. And then let's say your legs aren't recovered, that might change your gait. That might put more pressure on your skeletal system. There are lots of reasons why we want those muscles to recover. So let's talk about how to speed up muscle recovery. I'm going to give you three heavy hitters, like the three must-dos for muscle recovery, and then I'll give you several other helpful tips um, if you've already mastered the three heavy hitters. So don't just dive into the special bonus tips. Really master those heavy hitters first. The first heavy hitter is to prioritize nutrient-dense foods all the time. I know, what a broken record. I talk about this stuff all the time, but that's because it's so important. If we think about vegetables and fruits, they're loaded with antioxidants, which helps reduce something called free radicals, which are generated by exercise. This reduces inflammation all throughout the body. So vegetables and fruits reduce inflammation via their antioxidant capacity. Um, On the other hand, if we're eating processed or ultra-processed foods, Ultra-processed foods are just like kind of what we would refer to as, quote, junk food. Um, Those inhibit recovery because they just take a lot of work for our body to process. That leaves less energy for our body to fight off inflammation and build more muscle fibers. Um, They can also spike blood sugar more than whole foods. So the ultra-processed foods inhibit muscle recovery and vegetables and fruits increase muscle recovery. That's heavy hitter number one. Heavy hitter number two is to get good quality sleep. Get good quality sleep. Sleep deprivation can really impair your body's ability to clear inflammation and um, it can inhibit your muscle recovery. So time in bed is important, time that you're sleeping, but just as important is the quality of that sleep. So I'm going to link to a blog post in the show notes on my tips to improve sleep quality naturally. The third heavy hitter is to be adequately hydrated. I am always all about adequate hydration, but especially when we're talking about muscle recovery, it becomes even more important. Um, when we are not hydrated, our muscles cannot synthesize, they can't rebuild, Um, the circulation is reduced, this uh, circulation, your blood flow, just helps reduce inflammation and, and toxic byproducts of exercising. So if circulation is down because we're dehydrated, our body can't flush all of that stuff out. So I always recommend taking half your body weight in pounds and then adding 16 for every hour of exercise you do daily, and that's the number of ounces that you can aim to drink daily to be adequately hydrated. So those are the three heavy hitters, prioritizing nutrient-dense food, getting good quality sleep, and ensuring adequate hydration. I bet some of you could have guessed some of those, but I've got to say them because they are that important. If you do not do those three, no matter what supplements you take, no matter what things you do that we're about to talk about, you will not recover appropriately. So once you've done those, let's talk about a couple or several other bonus tips to speed up muscle recovery. The first one, we might think of people who are, you know, bodybuilders in the gym or always in the gym pounding a protein shake. And there's a reason for that. When we focus on protein immediately post-workout, that protein can get really sucked up by the muscles and help with muscle synthesis. So if you're just the average exerciser and you're 
kind of exercising to be healthy and feel good, then you do not need to slam a protein shake the moment you get done with your walk or your yoga class or whatever. But if you are specifically looking for muscle growth, then having adequate protein within 30 or 60 minutes can be helpful. And I'll recommend here 20 to 35 grams of protein, which is about the amount in an average chicken breast or an average scoop of protein powder, something like that, uh, immediately after your workout, unless you'll be having a meal. Like let's say you finish your workout, you're going to have a meal 30 minutes later. You don't need to have a protein shake and a meal. Just include some protein in your meal. But if you're not going to have your meal for two hours or three hours then, and you're worried about um, uh, building muscle, then definitely get in 20 to 35 grams of protein right after the workout. The second tip here is to refuel with carbohydrates post-workout. So interestingly, a common post-workout drink used to be chocolate milk. And I'm not necessarily recommending chocolate milk. We've talked about the inflammatory potential of dairy um, and the uh, inflammatory potential of sugar, which is in chocolate milk. But the ratio of protein to carbohydrates in chocolate milk is actually really great, which is why it was initially recommended. In order for peak uh, protein synthesis and muscle recovery, we do need a blend of protein and carbohydrates uh, in order to uh, get that insulin response that allows your, your muscles to soak up that protein. We do need a little bit of carbohydrates. So if you are prioritizing performance, like you're training for a race or a CrossFit competition, or if you're doing multiple workouts per day and you're going to work out within eight hours of finishing your current workout, then having carbohydrates post-workout is really beneficial. This can help with your performance. So having not only protein, which we already discussed, but having protein and carbohydrates, um, if you're really, really focused on performance, will help. So for that, it depends on the person and the size of the person, but 30 to 50 grams of carbohydrates within an hour of finishing the workout is my recommendation. All right, next tip for prioritizing speedy muscle recovery is to consider amino acid supplementation. So many of us have heard of BCAAs. These are branched chain amino acids. And this is a subset of the amino acids that are specifically used for muscle synthesis. Um, however, I will recommend a different variety, which is essential amino acids. The essential amino acids are only those amino acids that your body can't make on its own. So when we take essential amino acids, we're um, not depleting our body's resources. We're allowing our body to uh, synthesize what it can, and we're supplementing with those that are required to get exogenously or from food. So I really recommend essential amino acids over branch chain amino acids. And I will link uh, in the show notes to the specific brand of amino acids that I prefer, which is Keon. Um, taking these amino acids, I take them, I would say, before 80% of my workouts. And I feel more energy during the workout. I know that the amino acids help prevent me from breaking down muscle as fuel during the workout because I'm not necessarily trying to be a bodybuilder, but I don't want my body to break down muscle as fuel. I would rather have my body rely on its glycogen stores or on my fat stores um, and not break down that muscle. And then the amino acids, of course, since this is the topic of today's podcast, help me recover more quickly. 
So uh, that is a potential supplement. Another one would be consider drinking tart cherry juice. So tart tart cherry juice has been shown to reduce inflammation, um, reduce muscle damage, reduce soreness when taken post-workout. And you can get little shots of tart cherry juice or you can get a bottle uh, and just take a little bit of that to speed muscle recovery. A tip that I do every single day is wearing compression socks. I actually wear compression sleeves instead of socks. Um, And the research on whether or not compression gear improves performance is kind of mixed, but it is conclusive that compression socks can improve circulation and enhance recovery. So I wear these sleeves, calf sleeves, every single night as I'm sleeping, and I wake up the next day feeling much better. A few more tips that you can use to speed muscle recovery. Don't train the same muscle group every single day. So most most strength programs, if you're following a plan, they will have you maybe train one, two, or maximum three times per week for any given muscle group. So you're not just going to do biceps, 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 biceps. You might do biceps and triceps or biceps and back or something like that. And then the next day you might do legs. You have a rotation so that you can allow any given muscle group to recover. So if you're doing low strain activities like a walk or something like that, you can do that every day. But if you're lifting heavy weights, do not train the same muscle group every day. Next tip here is to treat yourself to a massage or use a foam roller. I'm going to link to a blog post with more details on all of these tips. And in that blog post, I have a link to my specific foam roller, a rapid release tool that I also use daily that I am so lucky to have been gifted by my parents uh, during my really, really, really bad year of plantar fasciitis. Uh, But anything that we can do to increase circulation to the muscle, whether that's foam rolling or stretching or rapid release or massage, that's really great for recovery. Um, Three more tips for you. The first one is to brave the cold. So cold exposure, like cryotherapy in particular, Cryotherapy, for those of you who don't know, is when you stand in a chamber and it gets down to, I believe, negative 250 degrees or something very, very cold for two minutes. Um, And that has been shown to reduce inflammation and muscle fatigue after exercise. So those of you who have followed me relatively recently might not know that in my past, um, I ran 47 half marathons and five marathons and several other shorter distance races. I I finished a half Ironman in 2019, and then I kind of pulled the plug on endurance activity because it was stressing out my body a bit. But when I was doing all of that, I would go to cryotherapy after intense workouts, and I really do think it helped my recovery. Um, If you don't want to go to cryotherapy, I still take cold showers two to three times per week, and that or an ice bath also works. Along those lines, uh, we want to get some fuel, get some circulation into the muscles, and you can also do that with active recovery. So we feel like the day after a tough workout, we might want to just sit on the couch all day, but that's actually not ideal. So a bit of active recovery, maybe a brisk walk or some gentle yoga or a swim or dancing in your bathroom or whatever, anything that just gets the blood flowing will actually improve your circulation and allow your muscles to better recover. 
Uh, and then the last tip here is to consider a natural anti-inflammatory aid. So one of the most potent anti-inflammatories in the world is turmeric. Uh, which is the basis for that yellow coloring of many curry dishes. And you could just load up on a lot of curry, uh, eat curry all week if you want, um, or you could supplement daily with turmeric as I do. So um, again, I will link in the show notes to the turmeric that I take, but that could be your final tip to uh, improve and speed up your muscle recovery. I hope those help out, and I hope you get back to your workouts feeling even better than before. Next up, it's time for listener Q&A, and the first one comes from Annabelle. She says, I always see on Instagram that you finish your morning routine by 6 a.m. or so. What time do you go to bed? Annabelle, you are right, and you're very observant. I always post on Instagram stories a picture of my Pepper Planner page with the inspirational quote for the day. And the truth is I generally wake up around between 4.30 and 4.50 a.m. on weekdays, depending on the day. And between taking the dogs out and making my coffee and personal hygiene and then my whole morning routine, I'm usually starting my workout around 6.30 a.m. And in order to do that and feel energized, I really prioritize sleep. So I am generally in bed by 9 and asleep by 9.30 after reading. So that gives me a solid seven hours of good quality sleep. Eventually, I would like to get it to eight, but honestly, this is a big improvement for me, and I have put so much focus on improving the quality of my sleep as well, so this is what's working for me right now. Second question comes from Sarah. She says, you mentioned before that fruit spiked your blood sugar while you were wearing your continuous glucose monitor. Were different fruits different? Uh, Short answer is yes. Um, I'm still wearing my continuous glucose monitor and still learning a ton every single day. I'm getting better and better at managing my blood sugar. So I will link for those of you who haven't seen it to the blog post I wrote with all of my insights. Uh, There's a previous podcast episode on this as well. I will also put a link in the show notes so that you can skip the waiting list, which I believe now is like 80,000 people, uh, if you want to try Levels, which is the company that I use to get my continuous glucose monitor. So Sarah, back to the answer to your question. Yes, different fruits were different. Um, I kind of expected what came to be true, that berries would be the best. Berries are the highest in fiber and lowest in sugar, Um, and so we generally refer to them as better for blood sugar, and that did come to be true in my own body. Um, What was surprising to me is that pears were also really good. This is why for the past several months, I've been including half a pear in most of my smoothies. Um, The response here is also probably a good one because I have my smoothies really well balanced with protein and healthy fat, and I'm only using half a pear, uh, and then tons of fiber from flax and cauliflower and spinach and all of that. So it's really a balanced meal. But honestly, I expected even that half pear to spike my blood sugar a bit more. Um, oranges and apples were kind of like the middle of the road for me. They did cause a spike, uh, but not quite as dramatic as grapes. Grapes were honestly terrible for my blood sugar. I wish that were not the case. Um, And and for some people, this might not be the case because our bodies respond differently. But for me, this was the worst fruit for my blood sugar. 
Um, another common culprit is bananas. Honestly, in the three plus months I've been wearing levels, I haven't had a banana because honestly, I just don't love them. Um, but I'm guessing they would cause a big spike, especially if I ate them on their own. If I just ate a banana, we can always reduce a blood sugar spike by pairing a carb with a protein and or a healthy fat. So no naked carbs, I like to say. If you're going to have a carb like a banana, pair it with protein and or healthy fat. But those were some of the results for me. It's time to get you moving, literally this time. This is your call to action. And your call to action today is if you're already exercising regularly, consider which of those tips that I went over that you can do to increase your recovery. So if you are just starting out, be sure to focus on those three heavy hitters, which were prioritizing nutrient-dense foods, getting good quality sleep, and ensuring adequate hydration. If you're already doing those, then consider some of those bonus tips I went over. And if you're not exercising regularly, your call to action is to pencil in two or three sessions for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I always love hearing from you. Have a wonderful rest of the week, and I'll be back in your earbuds next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Wellness Your Way with Megan Lyons. I always love connecting with listeners, so be sure to follow me on social media. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss brand new episodes each week. If you love Wellness Your Way, please leave us a rating and review. I appreciate it so much. Stay well, and I'll be back next week. The Wellness Your Way podcast is provided for information only and should not be misconstrued as medical advice. Please consult with your physician or otherwise qualified practitioner on any matters regarding your health and well-being or on any opinions expressed within this podcast or the Lion Share website.